From coast to coast and worldwide on the internet via satellite, this is Luke 418 Radio Network. To Luke 418 Radio Talk Show, the leading cutting edge of Christian radio. Exposing the works of darkness and declaring a life of righteousness. Your host, Pastor Bill and Valerie French. Welcome, listeners all around the world, to Luke 418 Radio. This is your host, Pastor Valerie French, on the front lines. I am in the trenches against the enemy fighting for your souls. The warfare is intense. But we have the victory in Christ Jesus. God bless everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I will continue a special presentation of a beautiful book, which I will be reciting, called My Dream of Heaven by Rebecca Springer. Father, we thank you for this session today. We pray that you will be with us. I loose the angels of God to encompass around us and protect us, and do warfare to come against the enemy of our souls. I come against all darkness and evil in high places. I pray that this book will be a blessing to those who hear it, and an encouragement in perilous times. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Chapter 7 The following morning my brother said to me, After an interesting hour of instruction, shall we go for the promised visit to Miss Wickham's now? Indeed, yes, I answered eagerly, so we set forth at once. We soon reached her lovely home and found her waiting at the entrance as though expecting us. After a cordial greeting to our friend, my brother said, I shall leave you together for that long talk, for which I know you are both eager and will go my way to other duties. I will find you later at home, the last remark to me. All right, I answered. I am familiar with the way now and need no attendance. After he had gone, my friend took me all over her lovely home and showed me with great pleasure the rooms prepared for each beloved member of her earthly household still to come. One very large room, into whose open windows at each end of the blossom fruit-laden boughs of the immortal trees looking invitingly, was evidently her special care, she whispered to me. Douglas always did like a large room. I am sure he will like this one. And I was also sure. Returning down the broad stairway, we found it entered into a very large music room, with broad galleries supported by marble columns running across three sides of it, on a level with the second floor. In this gallery was a number of musical instruments, harps, violas, and some unlike any instruments I have ever seen elsewhere. The room itself was filled with easy chairs, couches, and window seats, where listeners could rest and hear the sweet harmonies from the galleries. My daughter, my friend, explained, who left us in early childhood, has received a fine musical training here, is fond of gathering in her young friends and giving us quite often a musical treat. You know, our old home of Springville has furnished some rare voices for the heavenly choirs. Mary Ellis, Will Griggs, 
and many others you will often hear in this room I trust. We re-entered from this room the dainty reception hall opening upon the front veranda and outer steps. Here Mrs. Wickham drew me to a seat beside her and said, Now tell me everything of the dear home and all its blessed inmates. Holding each other's hands as we talked, she questioning, I answering, things too sacred to be repeated here, were dwelt upon for hours. At last she said, rising hastily, I will leave you for a little while. Nay, you must not go, as I would have risen. There is much yet to be said. Wait here, and I will return. I had already learned not to question the judgment of these wiser friends, and yielding to her will. As she passed through the doorway to the inner house, I saw a stranger at the front entrance and arose to meet him. He was tall and commanding in form, with a face of ineffable sweetness and beauty. Where had I seen him before? Surely, surely I had met him since I came. Ah, now I know, I thought. It is St. John, the beloved disciple. He had been pointed out to me one morning by the riverside. Peace be unto this house, was the salutation as he entered. How his voice stirred and thrilled me. No wonder the master loved him with that voice and that face. Enter, thou art a welcome guest. Enter, and I will call the mistress, I said, as I approached to bid him welcome. Nay, call her not. She knows that I am here. She will return, he said. Sit thou a while beside me. He continued as he saw that I stood after I had seen him seated. He rose and led me to the seat near him, and like a child, I did as I was bidden, still watching, always watching, the wonderful face before me. You have but lately come, he said. Yes, I am here but a short time. So short that I know not how to reckon time as you count it here, I answered. Ah, oh, that matters little, he said with a gentle smile. Many cling always to the old reckoning of the earth language. It is a link between the two lives. We would not have it otherwise. How does the change impress you? How do you find life here? Ah, I said, if they could only know. I never fully understood till now the meaning of that sublime passage. I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard. Neither hath even entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It is indeed past human conception, I spoke with deep feeling. For them that love him, do you believe that all Christians truly love him, he asked? Do you think they love the Father for the gift of the Son, and the Son because of the Father's love and mercy? Or is their worship oft times that of duty rather than of love? He spoke reflectively and gently. Oh, I said, you who so well know the beloved Master, who were so loved by him, how could you doubt the love he must inspire in all hearts who seek to know him? A radiant glow overspread the wonderful face which he lifted, looking directly at me. The mist rolled away before my eyes, and I knew him. With a low cry of joy and adoration, I threw myself at his feet, bathing them with happy tears. He gently stroked my bowed head for a moment, then rising lifted me to his side. My Savior, my King, I whispered, clinging closely to him.
Yes, an elder brother and friend, he added, wiping away tenderly the tears stealing from beneath my closed eyelids. Yes, yes, the chiefest among ten thousand, and the one altogether lovely, again I whispered. Ah, now you begin to meet the conditions of the new life, like many another and changing of faith to sight with you has engendered a little shrinking, a little fear. That is all wrong. Have you forgotten the promise? I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. If you've loved me when you could not see me, except by faith, love me more now when you have really become co-heirs of the Father. Come to me with all that perplexes or gladdens, Come to the elder brother, always waiting to receive you with joy. Then he drew me to a seat and conversed with me long and earnestly, unfolding many of the mysteries of this divine life. I hung upon his words. I drank every tone of his voice. I watched eagerly every line of his beloved face. And I was exalted, uplifted, upborne, beyond the power of words to express. At length, with a divine smile, he arose. We will often meet, he said, and I, bending over, pressed my lips reverently to his hands, still clasping my own. Then laying his hands a moment in blessed upon my bowed head, he passed noiselessly and swiftly from the house. As I stood watching the Savior's fast receding figure, passing beneath the flower-laden trees, I saw two beautiful young girls approaching the way he went. With arms intertwining, they came, happily conversing together, sweet Mary Bates and May Cadman. When they saw the Master, with glad cry they flew to meet him, and he joyously extended a hand to each. They turned, and each clinging to his hand, one upon either side, accompanied him on his way, looking up trustingly into his face as he talked with them, and apparently conversing with him with happy freedom. I saw his face from time to time in profile as he turned and looked down lovingly, first upon one and then on the other, lovingly upturned face, and I thought, that is the way he would have us to be with him, really as children with a beloved elder brother. I watched them till the trees hid them from my sight, longing to gather the dear girls to my heart, but knowing his presence was to them more than aught else. Then I turned and passed softly through the house to the beautiful entrance at the rear. Just before I reached the door, I met my friend, Miss Wickham. Before I could speak, she said, I know all about it. Do not try to speak. I know your heart is full. I will see you very soon. There, go. And she pushed me gently to the door. How my heart blessed her for indeed it seemed sacrilege to try to talk on ordinary topics after this blessed experience. I did not follow the walk, but kept across the flowery turf beneath the trees till I reached home. I found my brother sitting upon the veranda, and as I ascended the steps, he rose to meet me. When he looked into my face, he took both hands into his for an instant and simply said very greatly, "'Ah, I see, you have been with the Master.' and stepped aside almost reverently for me to enter the house. I hastened to my room and dropped the draperies behind me at the door. I threw myself upon the couch and with closed eyes lived over every instant I had spent 
in that hallowed presence. I recalled every word and tone of the Savior's voice and fastened the instructions he had given me indebtedly upon my memory. I seemed to have been lifted to a higher plane of existence, to have drunk deeper draughts from the fountain of all good since I had met him whom my soul loved. It was a long-blessed communion that I held thus with my own soul on that hallowed day. When I looked upon the pictured face above me, I wondered that I had not at once recognized Christ. The likeness was so perfect. But I concluded that for some wise purpose in my eyes were holden until it was his pleasure that I should see him as he is. When at last I arose, the soft golden twilight was about me, and I knelt by my couch to offer my first prayer in heaven. Up to this time in my life, there had been a constant thanksgiving, There had seemed no room for petition. Now as I knelt, all I could utter over and over was, I thank thee, blessed Father, I thank thee, I thank thee. When I at last descended the stairs, I found my brother standing in the great flower room, and going to him I said softly, Frank, what do you do in heaven when you want to pray? We praise, he answered. Then let us praise now, I said. And standing there with clasped hands, we lifted up our hearts and voices in a hymn of praise to God, my brother with his clear, strong voice leading, I following. As the first notes sounded, I thought the roof echoed them. But I soon found that other voices blended with ours, until the whole house seemed filled with unseen singers. Such a grand hymn of praise earth never heard. And as the hymn went on, I recognized many dear voices from the past. Will Griggs, pathetic tenor, Mary Ellis, exquisite soprano, and many other voice that was waning memories of the long ago. Then I heard sweet child's voices and looked up. I saw above such a cloud of radiant baby faces as flooded my heart with joy. The room seemed filled with them. Oh, what a life, what a divine life, I whispered, as after standing up until the last lingering notes, had died away, my brother and I returning to the veranda and sat at the golden twilight. You are only in the first pages of its record, he he said. Its blessedness must be gradually unfolded to us, or we could not even here bear its dazzling glory. Then followed an hour of hollow discourse when he led my soul deeper still into the mysteries of the glorious life upon which I had now entered. He taught me, I listened. Sometimes I questioned, but rarely. I was content to take of the heavenly manna as it was given me, with a heart full of gratitude and love. Chapter 8 The next day, my brother being away upon an important mission, I started alone to see if I might not find the dear young friends of whom I caught a fleeting glimpse the day before. I knew that all things were ordered aright in that happy world, and that sooner or later I should find them again. Yet I could not but hope it might be very soon. I recalled the happy light upon their fresh young faces as they had met the beloved Master, and I longed to talk with them of their life from day to day. From thinking of them, I began again to think of my blessed interview with him and became more absorbed in these thoughts as I was oblivious 
to the beautiful world around me. Suddenly I heard someone say, Surely that is Miss Sprague. And looking up, I saw sweet Mary Bates a few steps away, regarding me intently. I cried joyfully, My precious Mammy. She flew to me and, folding me in her arms, drew my head to her shoulder in the old caressing way, almost sobbing in her great joy. Dear, dear little muzzler, a pet name often used by her in that ha- the happy past. How glad, how glad I am to have you here. I could scarcely wait to find you. How did you know I was here, Mammy? The master told me, she said softly. May had already told me, and when we were on the way to find you, when we met him, and he told us he had just left you. Then we knew we must wait a little, she said reverently. How my heart thrilled. He had thought about, had spoken of me after we parted. I longed to ask her what he had said, but dared not. Seeming to divine my thoughts, she continued, He spoke so tenderly about you and said we must be with you much. May ha- had work to do today, and as she had already seen you once, I came alone. She may be here later on. May I stay a long time with you? There is so much to tell you, so much to ask about. Indeed you may. I had started out to find you when we went. Come, dear child, let us return home at once. So clinging to each other, we set out toward my home. What shall I tell you first, I asked. Everything about the dear ones. Every individual member of our beloved household. Begin with my precious, heartbroken mother. Hear her voice broke a little, but she continued. I am with her often, but her great and I fear unreconciled sorrow keeps me from being the comfort to her I long to be. If only she could spend one hour with me here, could know God's wisdom and love and how we know it, how the cloud would lift from her life, how she would see that two lives, after all, are but one. Yes, dear, I answered, I always urged her to think of it in that light and to trust implicitly in the Father's tender care and never-failing love. But it is difficult for us to see beyond the lonely heart stone and the vacant chair. Still, I believe she does begin to dimly grasp the comfort as you are so eager to impart. Ah, if only she knew that I need just that to complete my happiness now. We cannot sorrow here as we did on the earth, because we have learned to know that the will of the Father is always tender and wise. But even heaven can never be complete for me while I know that my precious mother is forgetful of her many rare blessings simply because I may not be with her in the flesh to share them. There is my father and the boys. Why, I am truly hers, still as they are. I often sit with them all, with her hand in mine or in my arms about her. My dear little mother, why must she see me to recognize this? But this is almost complaining, is it not? Some day she will know all. We must be patient. As we walked on slowly, conversing of the earth life, still in many phases so dear to us, she asking eagerly questions, I answering as best as I could, we saw a group of four persons, three women and a man, standing under the trees a little to one side of the walk. 
The man's back was towards us, but we at once recognized the master. The women were still strangers, and one of them seemed to have just arrived. Her hand the Savior held as he talked with her a while. All were intently listening to his words. We regarded the group in silence as we slowly passed, not hoping for recognition from him at such a time, but just as we were opposite to them. He turned and looked upon us. He did not speak, but oh, that look, so full of tenderness and encouragement and benediction. It lifted us, it bore us upward, it enthralled and exalted us, and as we passed onward, the clasp of our hands tightened and rapture unspeakable flooded our hearts. We finished our walk in silence and sat down on the marble steps in the shadow of the overhanging trees. The dear child nestled close against my side and laid her head upon my shoulder while I rested my cheek caressly upon it. After a time, I whispered half to myself, Was there ever such a look? Instantly, she raised her head and looking at mine said eagerly, You think it's so, too? I was sure you would. It is always just so. If he is too much engaged to speak to you at the time, he just looks at you, and it is though he had talked a long while with you. Is he not wonderful? Why, why could we not know him on earth as we know him here? How long were you here before you met him? I asked. Oh, that is the wonderful part of it. He was the first face I looked upon after I left the body. I felt bewildered when I first realized that I was free, and I stood for a, a moment irresolute. Then I saw him standing just beside me with that same look upon his face. At first I felt timid and half afraid. Then he stretched forth his hand to me and said gently, My child, I have come to take care of you. Trust me, do not be afraid. Then I knew him and instantly all fear left me, and I clung to him as I would have done to either of my brothers. He did not say much to me, but somehow I felt that he understood all of my thoughts. After a moment I asked, May I not remain a while with Mama? She is heartbroken. Yes, dear child, as long as you desire, he answered compassionately. Will you remain? I asked, for I already felt I could not bear to have him leave me. He looked much pleased, as though he divided my thought, and he answered and said, Yes, I will never leave you, till you are all ready to accompany me. Then I went to Mama and put my arms around her, and presently the Master, too, came and whispered words of comfort to her but I am not sure she recognized our presence, though I fancied that she grew more calm beneath my caresses. We stayed till all was over. I never left Mama an instant except that twice I stole the poor little Hal's sick room when he could for a short time alone. I have always felt that he recognized my presence more than any of them. He lay so still and calm when I talked to him. He seemed to be listening. When they gathered for the last time about my casket, it seemed to me I must speak. I must show myself to them. Could they for one instant have seen my living self standing so calmly in their midst? They would have turned forever from their lifeless clay that they had embalmed and beautified for the tomb. They would have known I was not there, but they would not recognize the truth. 
At last I pleaded with the master, let me show myself once to them there. But he said, it is not the Father's will. After I accepted fully the Father's will, as soon thereafter he brought me here to his arms. And what a blessed life it is. I can give only a brief outline of our conversation on that first happy day. It was too sacred to be scanned by curious eyes. We talked until the golden twilight fell, and we watched the little birds nestling in the vines and heard afar the solemnly joyous notes of the angels' choral song and joined our voices in the hymn of praise. Later we went to my room and lay down upon my dainty couch for rest. And the last words I heard before sinking into heaven's blissful sleep were tenderly whispered, Dear, dear little Musler, I am so glad and happy that you are here. More than once the question has been asked, Was there night there? Empathetically, no. What for want of a better designation we may call day was full of a glorious radiance, a roselit golden light, which was everywhere. There is no language known to mortals that can describe this marvelous glory. It flooded the sky. It was caught up and reflected in the waters. It filled the heaven with joy and all hearts with song. After a period much longer than our longest earthly day, this glory mellowed and softened until it became a glowing twilight full of peace. The children ceased their playing beneath the trees. The little birds nestled among the vines, and all who had been busy in various ways throughout the day sought rest and quiet. But there was no darkness, no dusty shallows, even only a restful softening of the glory. Chapter 9 Not long after this, my brother said, we will go to the grand auditorium this morning. It will be a rare day even here. Martin Luther is to talk on. The Reformation, its causes and effects. This will be the supplemented by a talk from John Wesley. There may also be other speakers. It was not the first time we had visited the great auditorium, although I had not hitherto described it. It stood upon a slight eminence and the mighty dome was supported by massive columns of alternate amethyst and jasper. There were no walls to the vast edifice, only the great dome and supporting columns. A broad platform of precious marbles inlaid in porphyry arose from the center from which the seats ascended on three sides, forming an immense amphitheater. The seats were of cedar wood, highly polished, and back of the platform were heavy hangings of royal purple. An altar of solid pearl stood near the center of the platform. The great dome was deep and dark in its immensity, so that only the golden statues around its lower border were distinctly visible. All this I had noted at former visits. When we entered, we found the building filled with people eagerly waiting for what was to follow. We soon were seated and also waiting. Soft strains of melody floated about us from an invisible choir, and before long Martin Luther, in the prime of his vigorous manhood, ascended the steps and stood before us. It is not my purpose to dwell upon his appearance 
so familiar to us all, except to say that his great in- intellect and spiritual strength seemed to have added to his already powerful physique and made him a fit leader still even in heavenly places. His discourse would of itself fill a volume and could not even be given even in outline in this brief sketch. He held us enthralled by the power of his will and his eloquence. When he at length retired, John Wesley took his place, and the saintly beauty of his face intensified by the heavenly light upon it, so wonderful. His theme was God's love, and if in the earth life he dwelt upon it with power, he now swept our souls with the fire of his exaltation until we were as wax in his hands. He showed what the love had done for us and how an eternity of thanksgiving and praise could never repay it. Silence, save for that faint, sweet melody of the unseen choir, rested upon the vast audience for some time after he left. All seemed lost in contemplation of the theme so tenderly dwelt upon. Then the the heavy curtains back of the platform parted, and a tall form about whom all the glory of heaven seemed to center emerged from their folds and advanced toward the middle of the platform. Instantly the vast concourse of souls arose to their feet and burst forth as one with voice into that grand anthem in which we had so often joined on earth. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Such a grand chorus of voices, such unity, such harmonies. Such volume was never heard on earth. It rose and swelled. It seemed to fill not only the great auditorium, but heaven itself. And still above all, we heard the voices of the angel choir, no longer breathing the soft, sweet melody, but bursting forth into pecheons of triumphant praise. A flood of glory seemed to fill the place. And looking upward, we beheld the great dome ablaze with golden light and the angelic forms of the no longer invisible choir in its midst, with their heavenly harps and viols, and their faces only less radiant than that of him in whose praise they sang. And he, before whom all heaven bowed in adoration, stood with uplifted face and kindly mien, the very God of earth and heaven. He was the center of all light, and a divine radiance surrounded him that was beyond compare. As the hymn of praise and adoration ceased, all sank slowly to their knees, and every head was bowed and every face covered as the angel choir chanted again the familiar words. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen and amen. Slowly the voices died away, and a holy silence fell upon us. Presently, slowly and reverently, all arose and resumed their places. No, not all, sweet Mary Bates had accompanied us to the sanctuary, and I now noticed that she alone still knelt in our midst, with clasped hands and radiant uplifted face, her lovely eyes fixed upon the Savior as he stood still waiting before us. 
with such a look of self-forgetful adoration and love as made her herself truly divine. She was so rapt I dared not disturb her, but in a moment the master turned and met her adorning her eyes with such a look of loving recognition that with a deep sigh of satisfied desire, as he turned again, she quietly resumed her seat beside me, slipping her little hand into mine, with all the confidence of a child who feels sure it is understood to the utmost. As I looked upon the glorious form before us, clothed in all the majesty of the Godhead, my heart trembling asked, Can this indeed be the Christ man whom Pilate condemned to die an ignominious death upon the cross? I could not accept it. It seemed impossible that any man, however vile, could be so blind to the divinity so plainly revealed in him. Then the Savior began to speak and the sweetness of his voice was far beyond the melody of the heavenly choir. And his gracious words, Would that I could, would that I dared, transcribe them as they fell from his lips. Earth has no language by which I could convey their lofty meaning. He first touched lightly upon the earth, life, and showed so wonderfully the link of the light uniting to the two lives, the past with the present. Then he unfolded to us some of the earlier mysteries of the blessed life and pointed out the joyous duties just before us. When he ceased, we sat with bowed heads as he withdrew. Our hearts were so enfolded, our souls so uplifted, our spirits so exalted, our whole being so permeated with his divinity, that when we arose we left the place silently and reverently, each bearing away a heart filled with higher, more divine aspirations and clear views of the blessed life upon which we were permitted to enter. I can touch but lightly upon those heavenly joys. There is a depth, a mystery to all that pertains to the divine life, which I dare not to describe. I could not if I would, I would not if I could. A sacredness enfolds it. All of the curious eyes should not look upon. Suffice to say that no joy we know on earth, however rare, however sacred, can be more than the faintest shadow of the glory we there find. No dreams of rapture, here unrealized, approach the bliss of one moment, even in that divine world. No sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no death, no partings, no disappointments, no tears but those of joy, no broken hopes, no mislaid plans, no night, no storm, nor shadows, even but light and joy and love and peace and rest forever and ever. Amen. And again my heart says reverently, Amen. Chapter 10 As the days passed, I found my desires often led me to the sacred lake, sometimes alone and sometimes with one or more of my own family and circle. My revered father and precious mother, my dear brother and sister, and my beloved friends, both within and without the bond of consanctiguity, it was always to me an inspiration and an uplifting. I never could grow sufficiently familiar with it to overcome the first great awe with which it inspired me. But I found that the oftener I bathed or floated and slept in its Plucid current, the stronger I grew in spirit, and the more clearly I comprehended the mysteries of this world about me. 
my almost daily discourse with the dear ones of our home life from whom I had long been separated served to restore me the home feeling that had been the greatest solace of my mortal life. And I began to realize that this was indeed the true life instead of that probationary life which we had always regarded as such. I think it was the day after my return from my first visit to earth that as I had started to cross the sward lying between my father's house and our own, I heard my name called in affectionate tones. I turned and saw approaching me a tall, fine-looking man, whose uncovered head was silvery white and whose deep blue eyes looking happily and tenderly into mine as he drew near. Oliver, I cried with outstretched hands of welcome, dear, dear Oliver, it was the husband of my eldest sister, always dearly loved. I did not know that you had come until a few moments since when our father told me. It is delightful to have you here. It seems more like the old life to see you than any of the others who are here. We were together so much during the last years of my stay, he said, grasping my hands warmly. Where are you going now? Can you not come with me a while? I was thinking only a few days ago how much I wished you could be here a little while before Lou came. You know her taste so well, and now here you are. So often our unspoken wishes are thus granted in heaven. Is my sister coming soon? I asked a little later. That I cannot confidently say, but you know the years of the earth life are passing, and her coming cannot be much longer delayed. Can you come with me now? Gladly, I said, turning to walk with him. It is only a little way from here, he said, just where the river bends. Lou loves the water so. I chose that spot in preference to one even nearer your home. This is truly enchanting, I cried, and we drew near the place. I have not been this way before. I want you to see the river from her room windows, he said. I know you will enjoy it. We entered the truly beautiful house, built of the purest white granite, so embedded in the foliage and the flowers, laden trees that from some point only glimpses of its fine proportions could be seen. She loves flowers so much. Will she not enjoy these trees? He asked with almost boyish delight. Beyond everything, I answered. We passed through several delightful rooms on the lower floor and ascended the stairway which in itself was a dream of beauty, entered the room he was so anxious that I should see. I stepped upon the threshold with an exclamation of delight. While I, he stood watching with keen enjoyment the expression on my face. It is the most delightful room I ever saw, I cried enthusiastically. The framework of couches, chairs, and desk was of the purest and spotless pearl, upholstered in dim gold, soft rugs and draperies everywhere. And though the low windows opened upon the flower-wreathed balcony, so enchanting a view of the broad, smooth river below, that again I caught my breath in delight. A thousand exquisite tints from the heavens above were reflected upon the tranquil waters, and a boat floating on the current was perfectly mirrored in the opaline-tinted ripples. Far across the shining waters, the celestial hills arose, with domes and pillared temples and sparkling fountains perceptible everywhere. 
When at last I turned from this entrancing view, I saw on the opposite wall, smiling down upon me, the same divine face that I daily looked upon in my own room in my home. We descended the stairs without a word. When I could only falter, only heaven could give such perfection in everything. Oliver pressed my hand sympathetically and let me depart without a word. Many months, by earthly time, he passed since that day, and many times I had visited that lovely home and held sweet converse with one I loved so well. I could suggest nothing that would add to the beauty of this place. But we talked of it together and planned for an anticipated and joy of her coming. One day I found him absent, and though I waited long for his return, he came not. I had not seen him for several days, and concluded he had been sent on some mission by the master. As I passed onward to our home, I met a group of happy young girls and boys of different ages, hastening the way I had come, with their arms full of mo the most beautiful flowers. As they drew near, I saw they were the grandchildren of my dear sister, Stanley and Mary, and David and Lee and the little Ruth. As soon as they saw me, they all with one accord began to shout joyfully, Grandma is coming! Grandma is coming! We are taking flowers to scatter everywhere. We are so glad. How do you know she is coming, children? I have just been to the house. No one is there. But she is coming, said Lee. We had a message from Grandpa, and he is to bring her. Then I will tell the others, and we will all come to welcome her, I said. With a great joy in my heart, I hastened onward to my father's house. I found them awaiting me, full of joyful expectation. Yes, we also have had word, my father said, and we're only awaiting your return, that we might go together. Then I will go for my brother Frank, that he also may accompany us, I said. He is here, said a genteel voice, and looking up I saw him at the door. Colonel Sprague is always present when he is needed, said my father cordially. So we set forth, a goodly company, to welcome this dearly loved one to her home. My father, my mother, and my sister Jody, my brother, the doctor, and his two fair daughters, my Aunt Gray, her son Martin, and his wife and daughter, my brother Frank and I. As we approached the house, we heard the sound of joyous voices, and looking in, we saw my sister standing in the room her husband's arm about her, and the happy grandchildren thronged about them like hummingbirds among the flowers. But what was this? Could this radiant creature with smooth brow and happy eyes be the pale, wan woman I had last seen, so bowed with suffering and sorrow? I looked with eager eyes. Yes, it was my sister. But as she was full thirty years ago, with the bloom of health, upon her face, and the light of youth in her tender eyes. I drew back into the shadow of the vines and let the others precede me, for my heart was full of strange, triumphant joy. This truly was a victory over death, so surely promised by our risen Lord. I watched the happy greetings and the way she took each beloved one into her tender arms. When one by one she had greeted and embraced them all, all saw her, with a strange yearning at my heart, turn and looked wistfully around, then whispered to my father, Is not my little sister here? I could wait no longer, but hastened to her side, and cried, Dearest, I am here, welcome, welcome. 
She folded me to her heart and held me fast to her warm arms. She showered me with kisses upon my upturned face. While I returned each loving caress and laughed and cried for very gladness that she had come at last. Oh, what a family reunion was that inside the walls of heaven, and how its bliss was heightened by the sure knowledge, not the hope, that there should be no partings for us henceforth forever. My brother Oliver looked on with proud and happy eyes. The hour for which he had longed and waited had come to him at last. His home life would now be complete forevermore. I told him how I had waited for him that day, and he said, We saw you as you left the house, but were too distant to call you. I had taken her into the river, and she had looked and admired the house very greatly before she knew it was our home. What did she do when she saw her lovely room? Cried like a child and clung to me and said, This more than repays us for the lost home on earth. If the children had not come, I think she would have been at that window still, he said, laughing happily. I am glad you had all her to yourself as at first, I whispered. You deserve that happiness, dear, if any man ever did. He smiled gratefully and looked over at his wife, where she stood the center of a happy group. Does she not look very young to you, Oliver? I asked. The years rolled from her like a mask, and we sat beneath the water in the river. Ah, truly, in those life-giving waters we do all renew our youth, but she became at once uncommonly fair and young. Her coming has brought youth likewise to you, I said, noting his fresh complexion and his sparkling eyes. But I hope it will not change your silver hair, for that is to you a crown of glory. He looked at me a moment critically, then said, I wonder if you realize the change that has likewise came to you in this wonderful climb. I, I said a little startled as I thought, I confess I have not once thought of my personal appearance. I realize what through the Father's mercy, this life is done for me, spiritually, but as for the other, I have never given it an instant of thought. The change is fully as great as your case is as lose, though with you the change has been more gradual, he said. I felt a strange thrill of joy that when my dear husband should come to me, he would find me with the freshness and comeliness of our earlier years. It was a sweet thought and my heart was full of gratitude to the Father for this further evidence of his loving care. So we talked together as the hour sped until my father said, Come, children, we must not forget that this dear daughter of mine needs rest this first day of her new home. Let us leave her and her happy husband to their new found bliss. So with light hearts we went our way and left them to spend their first hours in heaven together. So blessings, everybody. I'm so happy that you heard this wonderful book today of such a blessed place as heaven. There are still many things in this book I do not understand. But even so, I believe it is an anointed book, and it brings me great pleasure, and it brings me great happiness to, to bring this book to you today. God bless everyone. Until next session, amen.